Um, what I'd like to talk about tonight, if I could, um, we've spent we've spent really the fall season, as many of you know, uh, talking about the concept of covenant. That the New Testament, uh, let's put it this way, it's very difficult to understand the New Testament if we do not understand it from the perspective of covenant. A lot of the scriptures will will struggle with them. Uh, at least we'll, like we talked about the one on Sunday, you know, you lose your life, you know, that's a little extreme, you know, give it all away, that's a little extreme. And so we don't really know how to, how to connect to that ourselves until we do it inside of covenant. And we understand I'm giving my life wholly to Tina, Tina's giving her life to wholly to Ian. That makes total sense to us. We can, we can understand it. And so uh, I believe what we need to be spending time with, at least in the first part of this year, because how many of you came to here just to understand what a covenant was? Uh, I think you came here or you're listening because, you can turn that down, Brad. You're listening because you're desiring to understand how to walk in it. There's more to being married to Tina than understanding I have a marriage to Tina or having a piece of paper on the wall that declares that we are married. There's a lot more about what that whole process is. And so what we want to be doing then, for the, for just for the sake of us as a community, is to kind of step through, carefully step through, what does it look like to actually function inside of a covenant and to uh, activate uh, the way, the, the synergy, the way it works between me and God. And so if I was teaching a marriage class tonight, which is sort of what I am doing, we would really be focusing on the closeness. How close are you? Uh, I think Tina, Pastor Tina was kind of getting to it in the, in the issue of dealing with trust. Can, do you know that trust is non-transferable? Because trust is about relationship. As you know, John and I have been friends for, I won't say how long because that would date you. I don't care if you know how old I am. <laughs> but for a long, long time. And you know, my children have grown up with Uncle John because he, they've known him all of their lives. Right. Uh, we trust each other because of our relationship, not just because it's been, I am going to say it, 30 years that we've known each other, been close, close friends. Our families have been friends and for a long time. But because we have gone through things together, that we have been faithful to each other, because we have, you know, gone through challenges, life's ups and downs together, and we've sought after God together and we failed together and we've succeeded together and we've done all of these things that create the relationship that we have one with another. Um, I have 30 years of that and more so, depending on when you start the, the, the clock, uh, with God and a lot of failures and a lot of successes, a lot of difficulties, a lot of trials, a lot of great times, a lot of not so great times. And it's through that that I have my relationship with God. Uh, how I've handled those relationships, as we're going to talk tonight, maybe I did well, maybe I did not do well. But you can't listen to my story and trust God the way I trust God, for better or for worse. You have to learn how to trust him for yourself. I can tell you what Tina and I do to have a, good, have a phenomenal marriage, which will be information to you. But until it becomes part of you, then it's not going to help you. It may help you in a short period. You know, we score points, get some ideas, score some points. But long-term, that's how it works. And so uh, what I'd like to start the year with is an understanding of how, what is closeness? 
Because you know, you, nearness and closeness are different. Isn't that true, right? I can be near someone, but not close to someone. I can be uh, alone in a room. How do you know that? I can be alone in a room when there's hundreds of people in that room. You know, you can do all of those things because we pretend sometimes that having lots of friends on a, a social media program would mean that I have lots of friends. <laughs> I'm nearer maybe, but I'm not close. And so closeness becomes the issue. Closeness becomes that which we would strive for with God. Not that I just want to be near him, hang out at Light City Church or, you know, do those kind of things. I want to be close to God. I want to learn because covenant is all about trust. And as we go through all of this year, no matter what the, the Holy Spirit leads us into, as we wander through some of the concepts of this whole year now, our honeymoon year with God, as we learn about him and we learn to trust him. You see, you do not, just because you are married to somebody, let's say it was an arranged marriage or something like that, you know, in the olden days, you do that stuff a lot, but you just met the person, then you got married to them. Kings and queens would do that. And they, but they didn't know each other. And they didn't know how to trust each other. That took time. That took a journey. That took risk. That took vulnerability. And sometimes just what we'll need to do as we start this process is have a discussion about how do you get close to someone? Or better still, maybe in our culture, it's better to say, how come I can't get close to someone? How come I feel alone in a crowd? How come I don't have any friends? Or I do have friends, but they're all kind of surfacey friends. Because we're admonished in scripture, First John tells us this in one of his little books. He says that if you cannot love your brother, then how can you love God? And what he's doing with that is he's making a reference to wherever you are, there you are. That if I'm not a loving person, if I don't know how to have a relationship with another person, then when it comes to having a relationship with God, I'm gonna be challenged in that area. Even though you say, well, you know, I lock myself in a, in a mountain cave somewhere and I'm gonna to relate to God, but not, that's not gonna be real good for you. Because it's a lot of the times it's through our relationship one to another, as I compare that and I look at myself humbly, you know, I'm not judging myself, I'm not condemning myself, but I'm humbly looking at myself to see, oh, how do I do? Because when it comes to my relationship to God, it's gonna look a lot like my relationship to other people. I can always tell, you know, when, uh, uh, these little pastoral secrets for you coming up. If somebody's struggling with their relationship with God, I'll ask them what was the last thing they fought with their wife about? Because that's what they're fighting with God about. It's the same thing. And so when you are dealing with these concepts of relationship closeness, we can often come to the place where we need to look at it from a natural perspective. If God was in the room right now, how close would I be to him as a person? Even though we don't get to see him, it doesn't matter. We can still have a relationship with him. You can close your eyes and see him. Is it that much different than opening your eyes and seeing him in person? Uh, let me suggest it shouldn't be. So let's take a look then as we spend a few minutes and we're not gonna rush. And by the way, we're, we're also not gonna rush to teach. We're, 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 uh, I, 
I don't know, I wish I could take you to the moment when I fell in love with Tina, when I determined that she was the girl for the rest of my life. But can I tell you something? What I have discovered about it is that it is a divine thing. It isn't, I see, because, you know, I, I'm involved in these things all the time. I see people who go from being, you know, friends in a crowd to friends exclusive to dating to engaged to married, and they just are stepping through the process. So I guess the logical step next is this. And then this is the next logical step, and this is the next logical step. And I try to encourage them, no, it's not. <laughs> there are places where you say, no, not the one. I, we've been, maybe you've been dating for four years. It doesn't matter. It may not be the one. And I'm not prophesying to you, anybody in the room, don't hear that, what I'm saying. I'm giving you a pastoral lesson. Because your, your covenant comes because of a divine experience. It's a divine work that God does when he, I'll, I'll deal with, with, with mine, when God locked our spirits together to such a place that they became one spirit. You could try all you like to do that, but you can't do that. It is a God thing that happens when you have that experience. It is also that in covenant with Almighty God. You can't teach somebody enough to have them enter into covenant. It is a divine work that happens in our lives. It comes from an intimacy. It comes from a connection. It comes from a closeness. It comes from a nearness. It comes from all of these things that create a place where it's, there's nothing that separates. Is that making sense? Yes. There's, no, there's no space between those two people anymore and they become one, if it's husband and wife. With God, you want to do the same thing. And so what's as important for, at least I know for the first, like let's say Q1 of 2019, is going to be that we spend a lot of time in worship. Not just worship like, oh my gosh, when is this over? But lean in, right? When the, when the worship leader says, lift up your hands, lift up your hands, I don't, it doesn't matter if you don't, if you don't do that, I don't care, do it anyway. If I had a gun in my hands, I'd say, put your hands up. Would you put your hands up? <laughs> we can obey. We don't like to obey, but we can obey. We have the power to obey. If you feel to kneel down or you feel to come to the front, if you feel to come closer, if you feel to whatever, then I'm going to encourage you. Um, gosh, no, I will not say that, Lord. <laughs> Let me just suggest that you should, you should try not to create boundaries in your relationship to God. <laughs> well, I'll give you the scripture reference to that some other time. So closeness. When we deal with the issue of closeness, we have to go back to understanding what makes us as individuals. And that means that we have to go all the way back to the beginning of our days, that it is through the early season of our lives when we start to learn how to have interpersonal relationships. And we will use, for example, our relationship with our father, 
we will use our relationship with our mother, and we will use the relationships, the sibling, typically, sibling relationships, but there could be other things going on there. I expect that Lola and Hudson are going to, they're almost twins, born to different families, but born at the same time, and so they'll probably spend a lot of time together. So I expect those kind of things. You know, what are the formative, the, uh, the relationships that we had, particularly through the zero to 10 years in our lives? Most of those years are the years we probably don't remember much about them. Uh, we relate to babies as though they hardly know anything because they certainly don't speak the language, but that's completely wrong. It's, a matter of fact, it is the exact opposite of that. They're learning at a faster rate, zero to 10, than they will learn at any point in their lives after that. No matter they have 17 PhDs, they will not learn at the speed that they are learning in those years. And they absorb everything. Every, literally everything. That's why they can't be too connected to anything because their minds are literally absorbing everything that is going on, spirit, soul, and body, all around them all the time. But it is through these years, oftentimes, when traumatic events happen, and, which is not a bad thing necessarily. <clears throat> the motto in our family is, and then there's Rama. And so we don't get too tied up about being perfect parents because how many of you know if there's any perfect parents? No, there aren't any at all, ever. And certainly not to a teenager. The teenagers all have lousy parents, by the way. That's normal. It's not till they become parents that they learn that they had pretty good ones. And so uh, the issue is more that we have traumatic experiences. And then because our culture is not really uh, into a zero to 10 year old, then we don't deal with those traumatic experiences very well. And so then those traumatic experiences through those years, which are kind of like the formative years of somebody's life, and there could be things, there could be abuse issues. Matter of fact, the statistics. Now, I never know with statistics anymore because I never know what they're using to measure it. You know, if you had a bad hair day and mommy didn't lick it down for you, does that mean you're having an emotionally bad day? I, perhaps you were. But the statistics on physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, you know, punishment, leaving marks, all of these kind of things are really going a little bit out of control in our culture. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's true because fear is also rampant and fear is what creates all that stuff. Right. But we are, we are often, uh, if not ourselves, uh, victims, let not, let's not use victims, I don't like that word ever, but we, are, um, we have part of that in our, in our history ourselves or chances are, somebody very close to you does. And so the matter becomes, how do you unravel that? Because remember, my premise is how I relate to humans is how I relate to God. If I'm broken in these relationships, then that's the same place I'm going to be broken in these relationships because wherever I am, I am. And for me to unravel that stuff is going to become very important to me. And the second set, then going through that, and in, in, as we get older and older and older, uh, we're dealing with the independence years, which are sort of at 10 years old. It's not exactly 10, but at 10 years old to say 20 years old, you're dealing with all of the learning that we go through as we become independent beings. And the issues that we thought might be true and that we adopted uh, pretty much as true in our formative years, zero to 10, we start to now decide by experience that for sure those things are true. So nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me everybody's going to hurt me, the world's full of betrayers, all of these kind of things that we, that we have learned in our formative years, 
we then test those, those hypotheses in our independent years. By the time we get to be 20 years old, we've kind of decided what the world is like. And so then we, bec then we move into, at our, now remember, if we have got all kinds of relational issues that are challenging us, we're learning how to become guarded, how to become self-protecting, how to become all of these things. We learned it from our parents, we learned it from our friends, we learned it from all of these social interactions, movies and TV and the internet and all of these type of things. We're gleaning literally like sponges trying to figure all of this life out. And then we get into what I refer to as the shark tank years. That's from 20 until you drop dead. <laughs> when you start to live in the shark tank, you go get a J-O-B and you find out that your B-O-S-S -S does not L-O-V-E you like your M-O-M does. And she doesn't, and that person, whoever your boss might be, does not care about how bad your day is going. And you have a wake-up call and it extends from there. You start to have relationships that are perhaps good and perhaps bad. You start to be out in environments where uh, you start to use all of these things about relationships that you learned when you were younger. The problem is you're completely exasperated by the world around you because you've realized that everybody that, is you, that you know is all into themselves. They're all me-focused people. They're all betrayer people. And that only bothers you, as you understand from Romans, because that's how you were. You were a me-focused people in a whole big world full of me-focused people, mad at all those me-focused people because they weren't focused on the me you were wanting them to be focused on, which was you. <laughs> and you see what happens then is that we become, what we also, I also call this stage, is the red light stage. And I, that's newly named because Pastor Alex and I have been in a little bit of a competition one with another because we've decided to stop noticing red lights. <laughs> Instead, we notice green lights. Because a lot of times we found ourselves, both of us have perhaps, I gave this to, uh, to him, I won't say that publicly, but perhaps that happened, where you start to notice that you don't notice the, the green lights. You could have six green lights in a row and then get mad at the, at the red one that you did get. And so that's how this stage goes together. When you begin to go through this, starting when you're 20 years old now, you start noticing all the things that line up with all the upside down ways that you believe the world to be. So if you think there's lots of selfish people in the world, you start focusing on any and every selfish act that is perpetrated against you. Every betrayal, every abandonment, every issue, every hurt, every whatever, because you're focusing now on the red lights. And what we've noticed as we go down this now is that the more you focus on the green lights, Shazam, the more green lights you get. Perhaps you just because we've decided not to notice red lights, you might think that's theoretically true, could be. But I'm going with the fact that you actually get more good out of your life if you focus on the good that is in your life. Does anybody know that that might be true? And so this season now where most people not yet having met God, 
they've gone through this now, these formative, then the, 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 the independent years, and now they're in the shark years, and they're just going worse and worse and worse in this understanding that they must close off their world from everybody in it who is selfish, self-absorbed, who's gonna hurt them and betray them, who's gonna take from them and never give to them. All of these type of things, what am I doing? Slowly but surely, I'm backing up until I live in a little tiny box in my basement because the whole world is this terrible world. And then, then now I say, let's skip forward a minute. I'm going to come back from to this point. But you skip forward a, a little bit and you realize now I'm trying to relate to God, but I'm still living in my box in my basement. And God needs to jump through all kinds of hoops. The, but the problem is everybody else has to jump through all those hoops too to prove to you that they're worthy of you coming out of your box in the basement. Everybody else is failing them because all you're noticing is your selfishness in them. And so you never come out of your box, start relating to God. What do you notice about God or perceive in God, even though it's not even there? You start seeing all the selfishness in God. So now that I've spent a little bit of time with God, I'm saying, no, I ain't coming out of this box. Certainly not for, you know, El Shaddai, who's more like Zeus. Do you see the problem? It doesn't take long till we try to relate to God in a covenant way, and we're not even having a really good relationship with him as friends. We have to undo all of that. But as we go down, as many of you know, sort of you've heard a, a, probably a bit of all of this material before, but as you realize why is God bringing us through all of the undoing, all of the setting right of my father, my father issues, my mother issues, my sibling issues, I've got all of my friendship issues, maybe dating issues, maybe I've got abandonment issues, maybe I got all this stuff in the past. Why do we have to bother unhooking all of those triggers in my life I have to unhook those triggers because when God starts to relate to me like my daddy did or like my mommy did or like my best friend did, then all of a sudden all these triggers are going off and these the alarms are going off on the inside of me that says, don't go there. And even if you do go there out of obedience, the response that we get is always to perceive those things that God is doing as the same as those things that my father did instead of seeing them in exactly the opposite direction. As you are going to find out, as we get further down in this year, you're going to see that as we take exactly the same situation that God uh, relates to us in, we can see it as God being vengeful and hateful, or if we understand it right, we can understand it exactly the opposite. What's the proof of that? How many of you have teenagers in here? How many parents appreciate, how many parents have teenagers who appreciate all the loving things you do for them? Right? No, never happened. <laughs> the ad, this adolescent stage is trying to understand the nature of the father or the mother or the coach or the teacher as they do things that are good for that person but not desirable to that person. Right. And they interpret all of those things upside down. So I hate my mom, I hate my dad, I hate my teacher, nobody cares about, nobody loves me, when those people are actually loving them more than anybody else is in their life. They're just not appreciating and understanding the journey. Most of what we're doing right now as we step into some of this learning about how to come close to God is realizing that as we had relationship to God, we were the adolescents. We were the ones that were kicking and screaming every time God asked us to do something that would cost us something rather than give us something, which is how, which is, which maybe you've met a few teenagers, perhaps you've saw, seen that particular bent in them. Uh, 
And so once we get beyond that, right, the average person now is coming into this time, perhaps you were 20 years old and you've realized things are going in the wrong direction if you were able to get it early enough, or maybe you're 30 years old or maybe 40 or 50 or whatever it would be. <clears throat> One of the things about trauma, my observation, I don't think I have a scripture for this, but my observation about trauma is that it doubles every decade. And so you've got, you know, little issues when you're between zero and 10, they will multiply when you're a teenager, they will multiply again in your 20s, they'll multiply again in your 30s, they'll multiply again in your 40s. And so you start seeing this where people eventually get to the place where they have this thought, perhaps I should consider God. And the light dawns on them that says, you know, this is not going to get better. I need help with this. One of the primary places, historically, that people go, modern times a bit different, but historically, people would turn to God at that time out of the necessity to God fix this. The problem being that their understanding of who God is is more that God is a genie, uh, not understanding that God is a father. And so when they come and they begin to try to relate to God, now remember that my relationship with my father at this time is unhealed. My mother is unhealed. My sibling unhealed. My relationship's unhealed. Then I want to I want to go to God because I'm really looking for a genie, somebody who's going to magically twinkle their nose and make all my problems go away. And then I, then I come in and I realize it's not like that. So I come, maybe attend a few times with God. Maybe I go to a few church services and I find out that God isn't actually about being a genie and solving all my problems, although he may do that at first for some of us who are literally going to blow our brains out or jump off a cliff or something. But that's not his way. That's not his desire. That's not his MO to do things that way. And so people then, they come to God. Perhaps they found a religion. Perhaps they found a building. Perhaps they found a statue. Perhaps they found a hireling. Perhaps they found somebody who didn't know much about God and then they became exasperated by that. That's very common that that would happen. But then the more persevering ones will keep going, driven by this desire on the inside that says there is more. And every human being has that. But they're driven by that. Even though they've had some bad experiences, maybe you tried this out or tried that out. Uh, unlikely that this was the first place you ever tried. But as you come and you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying, eventually you look beyond the building and the statue and the hireling and you find what you were looking for in the beginning, which was God. Now what happens is we're still in this broken place in our lives. We're still selfish. Nobody ever has come to God because I'm such an awesome, righteous, altruistic person that I so desire that God's will would be fulfilled through my life. Never once happened. Not you, not me, not ever anybody. It's always been that we come to God because we have a need mm -hmm. and because we are finally at the place where we recognize that perhaps God could be the answer to my need. So if I go to him, if I spin the lottery wheel properly, then maybe the genie will come out of his bottle and grant my wish and it'll solve my problem and then I'll be, I won't bother you anymore, God. I'll be on my way living my life the way I want to live it all by myself until I need a genie again. And then of course, I'll keep your number in my phone. That's how most people relate to this whole concept. You probably know God well enough to know that's not God's style. God is not interested in proving to people that he is a genie right. because it's, it's a bad setup, right? If I prove to one of my grandchildren that Papa is the, is the, is the, 
you know, the big fat wallet off at the end of the street, then I should look forward to a whole lifetime of them only caring about me because of my big fat wallet. We have to do that now, right? In that season where they know that I love them and I'm about their lives more than just buying them toys, although I'm happy to buy them toys. It's my job to be able to help them with that discovery process. Is that not true? And that's God's job too. That when God begins to relate to us, he is careful with the parts of himself that he reveals to us because he wants us to get through the journey of our own trauma and woundedness as we have come to this point. Because he wants us to be able to have a real relationship with him. Now, people have asked me about this extended slow motion journey that we have around here going from not knowing God to this place of covenant. And why is it such a slow motion takes 10 years to just teach on the subject? It doesn't have to take that long. It can happen in a moment. The problem is it doesn't normally happen in a moment. It normally, it takes a period of time. I'd love to be able to, I think I did fall in love with you the first time I met you, by the way. As I remember, I can still see Tina stepping off that school bus. I don't know that you fell in love with me that fast, though. I think it was, that was, that was needed a, quite a bit of massaging and a little bit of strategy to have that happen. But you know, there, there, there is a story every now and again of love at first sight. I have never seen it, but I suspect that it has happened because sometimes it takes a day. And, and I think Sleepless in Seattle happened in a two-hour period, right? They were kind of went one from one end to the other and was almost no time at all. And so I know that it does happen, uh, um, but I also know it doesn't happen that fast. I also know that the, the, the the journey of how quickly it goes between meeting God and trusting God to the place where I'm, gonna, I'm ready to give myself 100% into the journey depends on how wounded I am as a person. Because relationship is about trust. And God's all about the ability, our ability to trust him. Because it is the key to the kingdom is that we can go through and face situations, but we can face them with zero doubt. As we face those situations with zero doubt, and I'm not saying you don't look like you doubt, I'm talking naked. That between you and God, there is no doubt. And so you may only be able to take, you know, take an extra two minutes in without having coffee in the morning and still trust God that you're going to make it. That may be all you can do, but that's not all God wants you to be able to do. God wants you to be able to fulfill your destiny, which is way the heck up there compared to where most of us are when we find God. And so journeying with him then, or how long does the journey take between here and there, it takes the, the amount of time that, it, that we need in order to be processing all of these closeness issues of why don't we trust? Why don't we come near? Why don't we have a better relationship with God? And so what I'm gonna encourage you to do, and even we'll even start tonight, I'm not sure, there's a couple other sessions to this over the Wednesday nights that are available to us in January. Always read Tommy Reed's texts. That's a, that's a rule I have. Oh, 
Definitely not that one. Wow. Okay, remind me to read Bishop's text. Um, so when we are going along that journey, what we really want to be focused on and what is God focused on is how do we get, how do we deal with all of the trauma and woundings that have come on in the journey to us? The reason that we, that we need to focus on that is because that's what God is focusing on. And it's very difficult for us to find out or to appreciate the things that God is doing with us if we're not on the same page with him as he guides us through these places of healing. Because I'm going to God looking for $100 because the reason I need the $100 is because I do not have a revelation of my finances. And so I don't have a revelation of my finances. God is saying, you don't need me to give you $100. You need me to give you a revelation of finances. And then you'll get the $100 yourself. Does that make some sense? God knows that. And so when we go to God and say, God, give me $100, he says, perfect, give Sandy $100 or give Sandy the $2 that you have. And I'm thinking, God, I am, like, is there anybody else up there I can talk to? <laughs> because I don't want it. I'm looking for my $100. God is looking to get a revelation in me about abundance. And so he wants me to learn how to sow, which is the key to abundance. But if I, he doesn't transform me on the inside, he's going to give me $100. What am I going to have to do tomorrow? Hello? I got to come back for another $100. I got to rub my genie bottle again and ask God to give me another $100. God knows that. And so when we are going through this journey, if we don't now, now we have this, see what, understand how we're, what we're dealing with here is we have this culminating, accelerating problem as we go through our lives, not really getting serious about God at, until we're 15, 20 years old, by now we have this stuff that's escalated in the upside downness of our heart. Now we're meeting God and expressing our life to God still out of all this upside downness, which is making me feel just as betrayed by God as I was betrayed by Mike. And all of my other friends, by the way. I'm the only one, you know, how come? No, you betrayed just as much as your friends did. True. The whole world was full of that. It's still today. That's why this is the only answer. And so when you're dealing then with my relationship with God in those early years, I'm constantly, that's my story. I mean, I, I'm glad I can tell you that I'm not there anymore. But my whole 20 years of my life with God at first was every six months, somebody had to come rescue me. I was shaking my fist at God, ready to turn in the towel. Not because what God was doing was not great, phenomenal now as we come, as we look backwards. It was that I never understood what he was doing. He di I didn't understand what it actually feels like for self to leave you. I was, I was all about this, you know, creature that I had created. As that stuff leaves you, you feel like you're dying. I, I would say often, I, I feel like I just, excuse my language, pooped out my heart. <laughs> Is it just like it was, it was gonna, you know, fall out of my chest? That was what God was trying to do because he wants to give me the life that he had for me, not the life I created for myself. I had maxed out that life and it, it didn't get very far, but I'd maxed it out. And so 
as we begin to deal with this closeness issue, we have to deal with all of the places where I have perceived that God's action towards me was a betrayal. Because I've often tithed and then had to deal with a financial problem the next day. I've often prayed for the sick and got sick. I've often stayed up late reading my Bible and missed my alarm the next morning. That's often, often. So I can perceive all of those things as God betraying me. I did all this for you, God. Well, that, by the way, if you bring up the I did all this for you, you only did it for the credit. So that that's nullifies it right there. Just some experience for you. You have to listen to these things, right? What's your relationship like with God? What was the last fight you had with Tina? I'll tell you. I'll tell you at least a good place to start, right? You can see as I respond to these situations, you're not judging God. God's perfect. He's never missed, ever. So, but we don't, we don't perceive it that way. In our early years, we perceive it that God misses every single opportunity to bless me that there has been. But that's not actually true. God has met every one of them, but he met them in the desire to get you to your destiny. He wasn't necessarily trying to fill your bank account to an overflowing. He doesn't think that way. God could keep you on the edge of a razor blade walking along your entire life without any trouble whatsoever, ever. You are never in danger. Like where Mike is talking to me the other day about, about the work that they're both doing with Olivia right now. Tell, helping her, that, telling her, daddy will always keep you safe. Not because Mike is proud of himself, but because he knows that how Olivia relates to him at one year old is how Olivia is gonna rate, relate to God when she's 12, yep. right? Not trying to be, you know, certainly she falls down every now and again, but we deal with that. But teaching her these principles of being able to be safe everywhere she goes, to be abundant everywhere she goes, to be loving everywhere she goes. That's part of the, the process of us learning. When we don't have those things, now we try to understand those principles and we misjudge God for everything that he does. Problem being, we sit here today and our relationship with God is dutiful. It's responsible. It's good, uh, better, fine. But it shouldn't be like that, right? It's like I tell people in their marriage, if your honeymoon was the best time in your marriage, you're in trouble, right? Because the honeymoon is just the beginning. It gets better and better and better and better. Do it right. Doesn't always go like that. But do it right. And it gets better and better and better and better and better throughout your entire life. A lot of times, what causes that not to happen in a marriage relationship is all of the perceived betrayals. Now, some of them real, some of them perceived, right? But you're perceiving them whether they're real or imagined. Yes. It's still a perception. It is those perceptions that create wounding and, and all of this stuff in a, in a human relationship. It is also what creates all of that in, a, in our heavenly relationship. And you look at, for example, um, you know, we, we used to do this more when we would have, you know, remember uh, a group uh, get saved, uh, come up to the altar and get saved. Remember that when you do altar call, thank you. And 
we would get, you know, a person would pray the prayer and they would enter into this time and then we would always instruct them in four things. Does anyone remember what those four things are? You need to pray, you need to read your Bible, you need to go to church, you need to fellowship with believers of like passion, right? The reason that you do that is because your relationship with God is all about communication. Because God, through this transition season, just like parents trying to talk to a teenager, the teenager is going to continue to think their parents are stupid unless the parents can find a way to communicate to that teenager. Does that, does that make sense, everybody? Yeah. And so what God tries to do to, with us now in this season is he's trying to communicate to us. Um, and so read your Bible, go to church, pray, fellowship with people who are kind of figuring out this stuff too, is all about communicating or empowering a communicative process between you and God. A lot of people don't do that stuff anymore. They don't read their Bibles, they don't pray, or if they do pray, they're just giving God the, you know, their, their Santa list. And so there's, uh, so they, they maybe go to church, but not all the time. Maybe they even pay attention sometimes when they, go to, when they go to church. Perhaps they fellowship, but they have more gossip and Facebook than it is fellowship. Oh, excuse me, uh, social media, I'm sorry. <laughs> than it is, face, than it is um, fellowship. And so we don't understand the nature of that, uh, that instruction. What am I trying to do? I, I have to try and learn to talk to God. Why? Well, because God speaks another language. He doesn't speak uh, uh, English. He doesn't speak selfishness. That's the only language we speak. The only thing I can hear is, what are you going to do for me? Oh, blah, 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 me do for you. Blah, 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 me do for you. Blah, 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 me do for you. When do, when, I hear this all the time. When's it going to be about me? Excuse me. Can I just interrupt for a moment? Because we don't hear anything that isn't what's good for me. And so when we start relating to God, we have a hard time developing our closeness with him because we don't speak his language. That's why read your Bible, pray, go to church, fellowship with other people. That's why all this stuff is really important. If we, don't decide, to, if we decide not to do those things, now what? Oh, that must mean God gives up and doesn't want to communicate to us anymore. Uh, no. God is 100% committed to our relationship and always has been. And so what God is limited then to be able to do is he has to talk to us, hopefully talk to us through our experiences. And this is what becomes very damaging to us sometimes because we are limited now. God could certainly wipe away all of my problems. This was my, my logic, right? God, you know, I, I stubbed my toe on that, that tree stump right there. Well, you could have removed that tree stump. Matter of fact, you could have prevented that tree from being growing there in the first place. Therefore, it is God's fault that I stubbed my foot. That sounds logical, right? It did to me at the time. And so when you relate to God that way, that he could have got rid of all those things, what you don't realize is that he put that tree there so that out of your foolishness, you would stub your toe on that tree. And because you stubbed your toe on that tree, you would call out to God, perhaps even in a negative way, but at least you would call God. And he would perhaps have a moment to talk to you about the thing that created the stubbing the toe in the first place. Because God is very interested in talking to you and more interested in you understanding what he's saying. 
I remember this time, I've told this story before. Uh, you know, this was in a really bad season of our lives financially, and we were just kind of going round and round and round. Didn't seem to, I got six speeding tickets in one year, got in six accidents the, same, uh, the year after. It seemed like, you know, never had a speeding ticket or accident since then. Uh, uh, and I won't. And so the, but going through this whole season, I'm thinking to myself, you know, God, I, I, I've just become a firefighter. Is that all I'm supposed to do, God, is go fight fire after fire after fire after fire? I'm exasperated by this process. And the Lord said to me, Ian, I know. Just rub the bottle a few more times and I will pop out as your genie and take care of all those speeding tickets. <sighs> yeah, that's not what he said. What he said was, if you're tired of fighting fires, quit starting them. That was one of those... <laughs> <laughs> moments. But what ha what was the, what's the essence of it? The essence of it was that he used those moments, that frustration. It was the separation between what I knew I was supposed to be. That's a, that's a, that's a profound thing on the inside of us. It's on the inside of every human being that we know we are created to be something more than we presently are. It is that frustration, then express it through something that's trying to knock us down even lower. And then that frustration calls us to be very willing to hear something mm -hmm. from somebody about why this is happening. And God is hoping, and he's very patient. You know, God's got nothing but time. Don't try to out-patience God. The best thing, if you find something, deal with it that day. Because it makes no difference to God if you wait 30 years to deal with it or if you deal with it today. God is just going to say, okay. Because that's a second to God. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even experience it. It has no value whatsoever. And so when we find these things in our relationship to God, experiencing. This is why God allows us to experience the fruit of a bad belief system so that the fruit of it can be analyzed. Holy Spirit, help me to understand what's the root of this fruit. Then I can deal with the root. Yeah. So right now, as we go through this, even for our journey in covenant, if I'm having trouble trusting God or relating to him or getting close to him, or closing my eyes and seeing him, or loving him, or feeling feelings towards him, then I can go based on that fruit and say, God, what's the root? Yeah. It doesn't, it's not a humiliating process because it wasn't probably more than, very, very likely. It has nothing to do with you. The computer is not the problem when there's a virus in the computer. Matter of fact, the computer is working perfectly when it shuts down your monitor. That's what a computer is designed to do when it gets a virus that shuts down monitors. Do you understand? So it's not humiliating to go through this. Matter of fact, it is part of all of our journeys. No matter how perfect your parents were, there are going to be places where you can reach higher and relate to God in a better and easier in a better way. We just simply have to choose to embrace the communication process. It is my job to begin to communicate. I can't hear anything. That's not because God's not talking. Yeah. Right? God is an external processor. He's also an internal processor, but he's willing to talk all the time. 
And so if I just start talking and I just start saying, Lord, I'm not sure what's up, but I'm having real trouble in this area. I don't know why I freak out every time the cell phone bill comes, but I do. And I need to know why, because I don't like that fruit. So because I don't like the fruit, I need to find the root. To find the root, I need your help. That's it. Now, as I go through that simple process, what did I do with God? I had a, uh, what's that? A bonding experience with God because I had a problem. God helped me with the problem. I had to move on the weekend. My buddies came and helped me to move on the weekend. And now I have a closer relationship with my buddies because of this experience of bonding that we had moving my couch. Okay, that's exactly what we're having. As I'm coming to God and I'm relating to him, I'm opening the door. I don't know where this is going. I don't even know if it's God, but I feel like I need to deal with this thing here, right? I, you know, you have a problem with somebody and you just remember the fact that you kicked your neighbor's dog and now your neighbor is mad at you. And you're thinking, how the heck are those two things related? Don't worry about it. Just go apologize to the neighbor. Go buy him something nice. As you go do that, you'll see all of a sudden, at least to a degree, that problem has solved. Perhaps he brings up a mother issue, a father issue, a brother issue, an old girlfriend issue, uh, old boyfriend issue. I, you know, it's a complex world we live in. All of these kind of things that could potentially be the issue, deal with them. As you deal with them, the door opens a little bit more. But it's really all that we're, we're trying to do. As you go through, particularly this month, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to sort out why isn't stuff just like it would be for Olivia? Why is it my journey to God a little bit more difficult? The reason is because of all this muck, not only that comes in before, but most of you are not, there's been a season that you've been with the Lord already. But oftentimes, the, what should have been bonding experiences with you and God have actually been negative experiences because you've misunderstood them, mm. right? It's like Tina makes my eggs and she makes them hard for me and so then I don't like hard eggs and so now I'm mad at her. Well, I had no reason to be mad at her for that. But that loving expression towards me misinterpreted has now actually, because of my selfishness, uh, that's easy to see. Because of my selfishness, all of a sudden our relationship has got an issue that I need to ask forgiveness for. Ask, repent, I have to repent, figure it, not just repent, say sorry, but repent, change your mind. As you go through those processes now over this month, I'm going to try and help you with some of that stuff. As we go through those processes, we come out at the end of a month from now and we've got, okay, we're good. Right? We're going to slow down the honeymoon a little bit. It's not going to be a weekend in Hawaii. It's going to be a, a whole year. We're going to slow it down so that we can learn what we need to learn, come into that place where we've, and we're going to, and it's, and it's, you can trust God a lot already, but we want to trust him more. We want to find out what are those places in our lives where we don't trust God, where I have to keep separate bank accounts or pa separate passwords or, I don't know, find out where they are. And let's get to the other side of it, to the place where I can trust God like I can trust Tina. Does that make some sense to you? So as we do that then, let's just take a moment. We got four minutes left. Actually, I was supposed to be finished 30 minutes ago. Um, Can I just say why that's so important? 
And faith in a word or faith in a principle, faith, vision, or hope, expectancy, when you are facing something that is unknown, the fear of the unknown is going to be enough to defeat the faith and hope that you have. It is only when you know in whom you trust and the in whom in that scenario is not taken by surprise by what you consider to be unknown or dangerous or unsafe or, you know, whatever. You know, God knows how that's going to turn out after. Abraham did not know how God was going to get a sacrifice up to the top of the mountain because the ram was coming up the other side. Abraham simply trusted, however this was going to work out, God was going to be good with it. And Abraham, this is maybe a nuance here, Abraham was going to be satisfied either way. Either Isaac was the sacrifice or God had a different sacrifice. But either way, Abraham was going to be okay because he trusted that God was going to make it work. Even if he had to gather all the smoke particles of the, after the fire and put Isaac back together again. If that's how it had to, that was okay. Abraham was settled that God was able to do that which he promised. What we're doing now is we're coming down to the essence of what this actually means to trust another person. <clears throat> Can I do that? First, I need to undo all the reasons that I have learned how to not trust people with all of my negative experiences, all the human betrayals and abandonments and failures and forsakings and all of these things. that We've all got them. Once I'm through that, now I can start actually developing a real relationship with God and learning that God is always faithful. God cannot be unfaithful. He would have no reason to, to, to spoil his, okay then, to spoil his, <laughs> to spoil his reputation by failing you. Because God is eternal. He can go back to the beginning and do it all over again in a way that he doesn't have to fail you. Should he get short-sighted and miss something? You just go back to the beginning and do it all over again. It's impossible for God to fail you. It's very possible for you to think he's gonna fail you. That's what we have to fix. Simple, simple, but we have to fix it. Is there a reason that you're spending time with me up here, Jessica? I'm reading your text messages. Oh, are you? What did he say? No, is he, he, he inviting me for breakfast, I hope? <laughs> no. Um, okay, so here we are. Start again, again. Amen. That's what we have to do. I'm choosing to let go again. Mm-hmm. It does not need to be my way. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I, have here, I have written here, I'm not the smart one in the relationship. Mm-hmm. In brackets, I'm the good looking one. <laughs> Holy Spirit, put your hand over your heart, close your eyes, and say, Holy Spirit, Spirit, I can tell tell my relationship relationship with God God is not as good 
as it could be. I have perceived that God has failed in how he has looked after me. That he betrayed me, he let me down, he missed opportunities, he abandoned me. I learned that I can't trust God. What I should have learned is that I don't know God. And so Heavenly Father, I'm choosing to let you lead. I'm learning to obey all things that you are commanding me to do. I know when I get on that track, I'm on the fast track to my destiny. I'm no longer kicking and screaming. I'm choosing to become his word so that I can obey with love and with power. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.